Charlie was dead. To begin with. There is no doubt whatever about that. The register of his burial was signed by the clergyman, the clerk, the undertaker, and the chief mourner. Scrooge signed it. Old Marley was as dead as a doornail. Scrooge knew he was dead? <laughs> of course he did. How could it be otherwise? Scrooge and he were partners for, I don't know how many years. Scrooge was his sole executor, his sole administrator, his sole assign, his sole residuary legatee, his sole friend, and sole mourner. Marley's funeral brings me to the point I started from. There is no doubt that Marley was dead. Now this must be distinctly understood, or nothing wonderful can come of the story I am going to relate. If we're not perfectly convinced that Hamlet's father died before the play began, there would be nothing more remarkable than his taking a stroll at night in an easterly wind upon his own ramparts. Now, Scrooge never painted out old Marley's name. There it stood, years afterwards, above the warehouse door, Scrooge and Marley. I mean, the firm was known as Scrooge and Marley. Sometimes people new to the business called Scrooge Scrooge and sometimes Marley, but he answered to both names. It was all the same to him. Oh, but he was a tight-fisted hand. Scrooge. A squeezing, wrenching, grasping, scraping, clutching, covetous old sinner. Hard and sharp as flint from which no steel had ever struck out generous fire. Secret and self-contained, and as solitary as an oyster. The cold within him froze his old features, nipped his pointed nose, shriveled his cheek, stiffened his gait, made his eyes red and his thin lips blue. No wind that blew was bitterer than he. Nobody ever stopped him in the street to say, My dear Scrooge, how are you? When will you come to see me? Uh, no beggars implored him to bestow a trifle. No children asked him what it was a clock. No man or woman once in all his life inquired the way to such and such a place. Even the blind men's dogs appeared to know him, and when they saw him coming on, but tugged their owners into doorways. <laughs> what did Scrooge care? It was the very thing he liked to edge his way along the crowded paths of life, warning all human sympathy to keep its distance. Now, we must start as all good stories start. Once upon a time. Once upon a time of all the good days in the year, on Christmas Eve, old Scrooge sat busy in his counting house. The door of Scrooge's counting house was open that he might keep his eye upon his clerk, who, in a dismal little cell beyond, was copying letters. Scrooge had a very small fire, but the clerk's fire was so very much smaller that it looked like one coal. But he couldn't replenish it, for Scrooge kept the coal box in his own room. A Merry Christmas, Uncle! God save you! cried a cheerful voice, suddenly appearing from the door. It was the voice of Scrooge's nephew. Bah! said Scrooge. Humbug! Christmas a humbug, Uncle! You don't mean that, I'm sure. I do. Merry Christmas! What reason have you to be merry? You're poor enough. Come then! What reason have you to be morose? You're rich enough. Scrooge, having no better answer ready on the spur of the moment, said, Bah! again, and followed it up with a humbug. Don't be cross, Uncle. What else can I be when I live in a world of fools as this? Merry Christmas. Out upon Merry Christmas. Every idiot who goes about with Merry Christmas on his lips should be boiled at his own pudding and buried with a stake of holly through his heart. Uncle. Nephew. Keep Christmas in your own way and let me keep it in mine. Keep it? But you don't keep it. Let me leave it alone then. Much good it may do you. Much good it has ever done you. I believe it has done me good. And will do me good. And I say, God bless it. 
The clerk involuntarily applauded, but becoming immediately sensible of the impropriety, he <clears throat> poked the fire and extinguished the last frail spark forever. Let me hear another sound from you, said Scrooge, and you'll keep your Christmas by losing your situation. Don't be angry, Uncle. Come, dine with us tomorrow. Why did you get married? Because I fell in love. Because you fell in love. The only thing in the world more ridiculous than a merry Christmas. Good afternoon. I am sorry, with all my heart, to find you so resolute. But I'll keep my Christmas humor to the last. So, a merry Christmas, Uncle, and a happy new year. Good afternoon. His nephew left the room without an angry word. He stopped to bestow the greetings of the season on the clerk, who, cold as he was, was warmer than Scrooge, for he returned them cordially. Meanwhile, as the fog and thickness darkened and it grew more piercingly cold, the owner of one scant young nose stooped down at Scrooge's keyhole to regale him with a Christmas carol. But at the first sound of, God bless you, merry gentlemen, may nothing you dismay, Scrooge seized a ruler with such energy of action that the singer fled in terror, leaving the keyhole to the fog and the frost. At length, the hour of shutting up the counting house arrived. You want all day tomorrow, I suppose, said Scrooge, if quite convenient, sir. It's not convenient, and it's not fair. It's only once a year, sir. A poor excuse for picking a man's pocket every 25th of December. But I suppose you must have the whole day. Be here all the earlier the next morning. Oh, oh I will, sir. Bah. Humbug. Scrooge took his melancholy dinner in his usual melancholy tavern and went home to bed. He lived in chambers which had once belonged to his deceased partner. Oh, they were a gloomy suite of rooms. Now, it is a fact that there was nothing at all particular about the knocker on the door, except that it was very large. It is also a fact that Scrooge had seen it morning and night during his whole residence in that place. Also, that Scrooge had little of what is called imagination. Let it also be borne in mind that Scrooge had not bestowed one thought on Marley, his seven years dead partner. Yet Scrooge, having his key in the lock of the door saw in the knocker without its undergoing any intermediate process of change. Not a knocker, but Marley's face. Marley's face. It was not an impenetrable shadow as the other objects in the yard were, but had a dismal light about it like a bad lobster in a dark cellar. It was not angry or ferocious, but looked at Scrooge as Marley used to, with ghostly spectacles turned up on its ghostly forehead and the eyes were wide open, yet... They were perfectly motionless. As Scrooge looked fixedly at this phenomenon, it was a knocker again. To say that he was not startled would be untrue. But he put his hand upon the key he had relinquished, turned it sturdily, walked in, and lighted his candle. He did pause, with a moment's irresolution, before he shut the door, and he did look cautiously behind it first, and closed it with a bang. Up, up the stairs, Scrooge went. Darkness is cheap, and Scrooge liked it. But before he shut his heavy door, he walked through his rooms to see that all was right. He had just enough recollection of the face to desire to do that. Sitting room, bedroom, lumber room, all as they should be. Nobody under the table, nobody under the sofa, nobody under the bed, nobody in the closet. Nobody in his dressing gown, which was hanging up in a suspicious attitude against the wall. Humbug. Then clanking noise deep down below as if some person were dragging a heavy chain. Scrooge remembered to have heard that ghosts in haunted houses were described as dragging chains. <gasps> a booming sound. 
The noise much louder coming up the stairs than coming straight towards his door. <gasps> his color changed though when, without a pause, it came on through the heavy door and passed into the room before his very eyes. The same face. The very same. Marley. The chain he drew was clasped about his middle. It was long and wound about him like a tail, and it was made, for Scrooge observed it closely, of cash boxes, keys, padlocks, ledgers, deeds, and heavy purses wrought in steel. His body was transparent. He felt the chilling influence of its cold death eyes and mocked the very texture of the folded kerchief bound about its head and chin. Oh, no, said Scrooge caustic and cold as ever. What do you want with me? Much, Marley's voice. Who are you? Ask me who I was. Who were you then? In life, I was your partner, Jacob Marley. <laughs> the spirit raised a frightful cry and shook its chain with such a dismal and appalling noise. But... How much greater was his horror when the phantom, taking off the bandage round his head as if it were too warm to wear indoors, its lower jaw dropped upon its breast. <coughs> Scrooge fell upon his knees and clasped his hand before his face. Mercy! Dreadful apparition! Why do you trouble me? <laughs> it is required of every man that the spirit within him should walk abroad among his fellow men, and travel far and wide. And if that spirit goes not forth in life, it is condemned to do so after death. It is doomed to wander through the world. Oh, oh is me! And witness what it cannot share, but might have shared on earth and turned to You are fitted. Tell me why. I wear the chain I forged in life. I made it link by link and yard by yard. The weight and length of the strong coil you bear yourself was as heavy and as long as this seven Christmas Eves ago. You have labored on it since. It is a ponderous chain. Jacob, oh, Jacob Marley, tell me more. Speak comfort to me, Jacob. I am here tonight to warn you that you have yet a chance and hope of escaping my fate. A chance and hope of my procuring, Ebenezer. You were always a good friend to me, thank you. You will be haunted by three spirits. Without their visits, you cannot hope to shun the path I tread. Expect the first when the bell tolls one. The second at two, and the third on the same hour. Look to see me no more, and look that, for your own sake, you remember what has passed between us. The spirit walked backward from him, and at every step it took, the window raised itself a little so that when the specter reached it, it was wide open. It beckoned Scrooge to approach, which he did. From outside his window, Scrooge heard confused noises in the air, incoherent sounds of lamentation and regret, wailings inexpressibly sorrowful and self-accusatory. The specter, listening for a moment, joined in the mournful dirge. Floated out upon the bleak, dark night. Scrooge, desperate in his curiosity, looked out. 
the air was filled with phantoms wandering hither and thither in restless haste and moaning as they went. Every one of them wore chains like Marley's ghost. Whether these creatures faded into mist or mist enshrouded them, he could not tell. But they and their spirit voices faded together, and the night became as it had been when he walked home. Scrooge closed the window and examined the door by which the ghost had entered. It was double-locked as he had locked it with his own hands, and the bolts were undisturbed. He tried to say, Hum! but stopped at the first syllable. And being from the emotions he had undergone, or the fatigues of the day, or his glimpse of the invisible world, the conversations with the ghost, or the lateness of the hour, went straight to bed without undressing, and fell asleep upon the instant. curtains of his bed were drawn aside, I tell you, by a hand, and Scrooge, staring up into a half-recumbent attitude, found himself face to face with the unearthly visitor who drew them. It was a strange figure, like a child, yet not so like a child as, as like an old man. Its hair, which hung down its neck and down its back, was white as if with age, and yet the face had not a wrinkle on it. It held a branch of fresh green holly in its hand, but... The strangest thing about it was that from the crown of its head there sprang a clear jet of light by which all this was visible. <laughs> are, are you the spirit, sir, whose coming was foretold to me? asked Scrooge. I am. Who and what are you? I am the ghost of Christmas past. Long past? No, your past. Rise and walk with me. He rose, but finding that the spirit made his way towards the window, clasped its robe in supplication. I am mortal and liable to fall. Bear but a touch of my hand there, laying it upon his heart, and you shall be upheld in more than this. As the words were spoken, they passed through the wall and... "'stood upon an open country road with fields on either hand. "'It was a clear, cold winter day with snow upon the ground. "'Oh, good heavens! <laughs> I was bred in this place! "'I was a boy here!' "'They walked along the road, Scrooge recognizing every gate and post and tree. "'Boys in great spirits passed each other, shouting, "'Merry Christmas!' "'Until the broad fields were so filled with cheer "'that the crisp air laughed to hear it. "'Scrooge knew and named them every one.' Why was he rejoiced beyond all bounds to see them? Why did his cold eyes glisten and his heart leap up as they went past? Why was he filled with gladness when he heard them give each other Merry Christmas? These are but the shadows of the things that have been, said the ghost. They have no consciousness of us. They left the well-remembered lane and soon approached a schoolhouse of dull red brick. The ghost disclosed a long, bare, melancholy room where one lonely boy sat reading near a feeble fire. The school is not quite deserted, said the ghost. A solitary child, neglected by his friends, is left there still. Scrooge said he knew it, and wept to see his poor forgotten self as he had used to be. Poor boy, I, I wish... But it's too late now. What is the matter? asked the spirit. Nothing, nothing... Th there was a boy singing a Christmas carol at my door last night. I, I should like to have given him something. That's all. 
The ghost smiled thoughtfully and waved its hand, saying as it did so, Let us see another Christmas. Although they had but that moment left the school behind them, they were now in the busy thoroughfares of a city, where shadowy passengers passed and repassed. It was evening and the streets were lighted up. The ghost stopped at a certain warehouse door and asked Scrooge if he knew it. Knew it? Was I apprenticed here? They went in, at sight of an old gentleman in a Welsh wig sitting behind a high desk that if he had been two inches taller, he must have knocked his head against the ceiling. Scrooge cried in great excitement. Why, it's old Fizzywig. Bless his heart, it's Fizzywig alive again. Old Fezziwig laid down his pen and looked up at the clock, which pointed to the hour of seven. <laughs> Yoo-hoo there, Ebenezer! A dick! Scrooge's former self, now grown a young man, came briskly and accompanied by his fellow apprentice. Yoo-hoo, my boys! said Fezziwig. No more work tonight! Christmas Eve, Dick! Christmas, Ebenezer! Let's have the shutters up before a man can say Jack Robinson! Fezziwig skipping down from the high desk. Glitter away, my lads, and let's have lots of room here! It was done in a minute. The floor was swept and watered, the lamps were trimmed, fuel was heaped upon the fire, and the warehouse was as warm and snug and dry and bright a ballroom as you would desire to see upon a winter's night. In came a fiddler with a music book. In came Mrs. Fezziwig, one vast substantial smile. In came three Miss Fezziwigs, beaming and lovable. In they all came, one after another, some shyly, some boldly, some gracefully, some awkwardly, some pushing, some pulling. In they all came, anyhow, and every how, and there were dances, and more dances, and there was cake and plenty of beer. And when the clock struck eleven, this domestic ball broke up. Mr. and Mrs. Fezziwig took their stations, one on either side of the door, and shaking hands with every person individually as he or she went out, wished him or her a Merry Christmas. When everybody had retired but the two apprentices, they did the same to them. And thus the cheerful voices died away and the lads were left to their beds, which were under a counter in the back shop. A small matter, said the ghost, to make these silly folks so full of gratitude. He spent but a few pounds, three or four perhaps. The happiness he gives is quite as great as if it cost a fortune. He felt the spirit's glance and stopped. What is the matter? asked the ghost. Nothing particular. Something, I think. No, no, I, I should like to be able to say a word or two to my clerk just now. That's all. His former self turned down the lamps as he gave utterance to the wish, and Scrooge and the ghost again stood side by side in the open air. My time grows short, observed the spirit. Quick! Scrooge saw himself. He was older now, a man in the prime of life. He was not alone, but with a fair young girl, in whose eyes there were tears. It matters little, she said softly. To you, very little. Another idol has displaced me, and if it can cheer and comfort you in time as I would have tried to do, I have no just cause to grieve. What idol has displaced you, he rejoined, a golden one. If you choose a dowerless girl, you who weigh everything by gain, your repentance and regret would surely follow, so I release you with a full heart for the love of him you once were. May you be happy in the life you have chosen. She left him, and they parted. Spirit, said Scrooge, show me no more. Conduct me home. Why do you delight to torture me? I told you these were the shadows of the things that have been, said the ghost. They are what they are. Do not blame me. Remove 
me. I cannot bear it. He turned upon the ghost, and seeing that it looked upon him with a face in which some strange way there were fragments of all the faces it had shown him, wristled with it. Leave me. Take me back. Haunt me no longer. In a flash, he was conscious of being exhausted and overcome by an irresistible drowsiness, and further, of being in his own bedroom, and had barely time to reel to bed before he sank into a heavy sleep. Scrooge quickly drew the bed curtains aside with his own hands. It was his own room, there was no doubt about that, but it had undergone a surprising transformation. The walls and ceiling were so hung with living green that it looked a perfect grove, and such a mighty blaze went up the roaring chimney, such a hearth it had never known. On a kind of throne sat a jolly giant, glorious to see, who bore a glowing torch and held it up, high up to shed its light on Scrooge. "'Come!' exclaimed the ghost. "'Come and know me better, man! "'I am the ghost of Christmas present! "'Look upon me!' "'Oh, Scrooge reverently did so. "'It was clothed in one simple deep green robe "'bordered with white fur. "'The garment hung so loosely on the figure "'that its capacious breast was bare. "'Its feet, observable beneath the ample folds of garment, "'were also bare, "'and on its head it wore no other covering than a holly wreath. "'The ghost of Christmas present rose.' "'Spirit,' said Scrooge submissively, "'conduct me where you will. "'I went forth this night on compulsion, "'and I learned a lesson which is working now. "'Now if you have aught to teach me, "'let me profit by it. "'Touch my robe!' "'Scrooge did as he was told and held it fast. <gasps> "'The room vanished instantly. "'They stood in the streets on Christmas morning. "'The spirit led him invisible straight to Scrooge's clerks, "'and on the threshold of the door the spirit smiled "'and stopped to bless Bob Cratchit's four-roomed house.' And then up rose Mrs. Cratchit, dressed out poorly in a twice-turned gown, but brave in ribbons. She laid the cloth, assisted by Belinda Cratchit, while Master Peter Cratchit plunged a fork into the saucepan of potatoes. And now two smaller Cratchits, boy and girl, came tearing in, screaming that outside the bakers they had smelt the goose and known it for their own. These young Cratchits danced about the table and exalted Master Peter Cratchit to the skies, while he blew the fire until the slow potatoes bubbling up knocked loudly at the saucepan lid to be let out and peeled. "'Whatever has got your precious father, then,' said Mrs. Cratchit, "'and your brother, Tiny Tim.' "'Oh, there's father coming!' cried the two young Cratchits, who were everywhere at once. In came Bob with Tiny Tim upon his shoulder. Alas, for Tiny Tim, he bore a little crutch and had his limbs supported by an iron frame. The two young Cratchits hustled Tiny Tim and bore him off into the washhouse that he might hear the pudding singing in the copper. "'And how did Tiny Tim behave?' asked Mrs. Cratchit. As good as gold, said Bob, and better. Somehow he gets thoughtful sitting by himself so much, and he thinks the strangest things you ever heard. He told me coming home that he hoped the people saw him in the church because he was a cripple, and it might be pleasant to them to remember upon Christmas Day who made lame beggars walk and blind men see. They ate and supped together and laughed and told stories. At last the dinner was all done, the cloth was cleared, the hearth swept, and the fire made up. Then all the Cratchit family drew round the hearth. A Merry Christmas to us all, my dears. God bless us. Which all the family re-echoed. God bless us, every one, said Tiny Tim, the last of all. He sat very close to his father's side upon his little stool. Bob held his withered little hand to his, as if he loved the child and wished to keep him by his side. 
and dreaded that he might be taken from him. Spirit, said Scrooge with an interest he had never felt before. Tell me if Tiny Tim will live. I see a vacant seat, replied the ghost, in the poor chimney corner at a crutch without an owner carefully preserved. If these shadows remain unaltered by the future, the child will die. No, no, said Scrooge. Oh, no, kind spirit. Say he will be spared. If these shadows remain unaltered by the future, none other of my race, returned the ghost, will find him here. Scrooge's attention came back to Bob and his family as they raised their glasses to toast him over Mrs. Cratchit's protestations. Mr. Scrooge, the founder of the feast. There were more toasts and more songs and more laughter. They were not a handsome family. They were not well-dressed. Their shoes were far from being waterproof. Their clothes were scanty. But they were happy, grateful, pleased with one another and contented with the time. It was getting dark and snowing pretty heavily. On Scrooge and the spirit went. The streets were bright. The windows showed roaring fires in kitchens and parlors while sounds of merriment echoed forth. At once the winter air parted with a warm laugh, and suddenly Scrooge and the spirit found themselves next to Scrooge's own nephew. They stood in a bright, gleaming room filled with Fred's friends and loved ones. Fred holding court, telling a story. said that Christmas was a humbug as I live, cried Scrooge's nephew. He believed it, too. Here he takes it into his head to dislike us, and he won't come and dine with us. Yet, I mean to give him the same chance every year, whether he likes it or not, for I pity him. A Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year to the old man, wherever he is. Merry Christmas, Uncle Scrooge. The whole scene passed off in the breath of the last words spoken by his nephew, and he and the spirit were again upon their travels. Much they saw and far they went and many homes they visited, but always with a happy end. The spirits stood beside sick beds and they were tearful by struggling men and they were patient in their greater hope by poverty and it was rich. In almhouse, hospital and jail, in miseries, every refuge where vain man and his little brief authority had not made fast the door and barred the spirit out, he left his blessing and the spirit of Christmas grew and blossomed. It was a long night, if it were only a night, but Scrooge had his doubts of this because the Christmas holidays appeared to be condensed into the space of time they passed together. It was strange, too, that while Scrooge remained unaltered in his outward form, the ghost grew older. Clearly older. Scrooge had observed this change, but never spoke of it until they left a children's twelfth night party, when, looking at the spirit as they stood together in an open place, he noticed that its hair was gray. Are spirit's lives so short? asked Scrooge. My life upon this globe is very brief, replied the ghost. It ends tonight. Hark, the time is nigh! Scrooge looked about him for the ghost and saw it not. And as the last stroke ceased to vibrate, he remembered the prediction of old Jacob Marley and, lifting up his eyes, beheld a solemn phantom coming like a mist along the grounds towards him. The phantom slowly, gravely, silently approached. It was shrouded in a deep black garment which concealed its head, its face, its form, and left nothing of it visible save one outstretched hand. I am in the presence of the ghost of Christmas yet to come, said Scrooge. The spirit answered not, but pointed onward with its hand. You are about to show me shadows of the things that have not happened but will happen in the time before us. Is that so, spirit? The spirit had inclined its head. That was the only answer he received. Ghost of the future, I fear you more than any specter I have seen. 
but as I know your purpose is to do me good, and as I, I hope to live to be another man from what I was, I am prepared to bear your company and do it with a thankful heart. Will you not speak to me? It gave him no reply. The hand was pointed straight before them. I know, I know, lead on, spirit. The phantom moved away as it had come towards him. Scrooge followed in the shadow of its dress which bore him up, he thought, and carried him along. They scarcely seemed to enter the city, for the city rather seemed to spring up about them and encompass them of its own act. Buildings and pathways, side streets and alleys swept past them as they moved through and about people who could not see them, like smoke. But their voices whispered into Scrooge's ears, I only know he's dead. I thought he'd never die. What's he done with his money? I haven't heard. Left it to his company, perhaps. Guess it left it to me. That's all I know. It's likely to be a very cheap funeral. Not a single mourner but his clerk. Spirit, I see, I see. The case of this unhappy man might be my own. My life tends that way now. I shall not leave its lesson. Trust me, let us go. The spirit conducted him through several streets familiar to his feet. They entered poor Bob Cratchit's house, the dwelling he had visited before, and found the mother and the children seated round the fire. Quiet. Very quiet. The noisy little Cratchits were as still as statues in one corner and sat looking up at Peter, who had a book before him. The mother and her daughters were engaged in sewing, but surely they were very quiet. The mother laid her work upon the table and put her hand up to her face. The colour hurts my eyes. It makes them weak by candlelight, and I wouldn't show weak eyes to your father when he comes home for the world. It must be near his time. Past it, rather, Peter answered, shutting up his book. But I think he has walked a little slower than he used to these last few evenings, mother. They were very quiet again. At last she said, I have known him walk with... I have known him walk with Tiny Tim upon his shoulder very fast indeed, but he was very light to carry, and his father loved him so that it was no trouble. No trouble. Ah, ah, there's your father at the door. Oh, you went today then, Robert, said his wife. Yes, my dear, returned Bob. I wish you could have gone. It would have done you good to see how green a place it is. But you'll see it often. I promised him that I would walk there on a Sunday. My little, little child. My little child. I am sure we shall none of us forget poor Tiny Tim, shall we? Or this first parting that there was among us. Never, father, cried they all. And I know, said Bob, I know, my dears, that when we recollect how patient and how mild he was, although he was a little, little child, we shall not quarrel easily among ourselves and forget poor Tiny Tim in doing it. Never, father! they cried all again. The spirit of Tiny Tim, thy childish essence was of God. Spectre, said Scrooge, something informs me that our parting moment is at hand. I know it, but I know not how. The phantom pointed as before toward an iron gate. A churchyard. Here then the wretched man whose name he had now to learn lay underneath the ground, or run by grass and weeds the growth of vegetation's death. The spirit stood among the graves and pointed down to one. Before I draw near to that stone to which you point, said Scrooge, answer me one question. Are these the shadows of things that will be, or are they the shadows of things that may be only? Still the ghost pointed to the grave by which it stood. Men's courses will foreshadow certain ends to which, if persevered in, they must lead, but, but if the courses be departed from, the ends will change. Say it is thus with what you show me. 
The spirit was immovable as ever. Scrooge crept towards it, trembling as he went, and following the finger read upon the stone in the neglected grave his own name. Ebenezer Scrooge. No, spirit! No, no, no! Hear me! I am not the man I was! I am not the man I must have been! Assure me that I yet may change these shadows you have shown me by an altered life! I will honor Christmas in my heart and try to keep it all the year! I will live in the past, the present, and the future! The spirits of all three shall strive within me! I will not shut out the lessons that they teach! Oh, 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 tell me that I may sponge away the writing on the stone! Holding up his hands and a last prayer to have his fate reversed, he saw an alteration in the phantom's hood and dress. It shrunk, collapsed, and dwindled down into a bedpost. Yes, the bedpost was his own, the bed was his own, the room was his own, and and best and happiest of all, the time before him was his own to make amends in. Oh, I will live in the past, the present, and the future. The spirit of all three shall strive within me. Oh, Jacob Marley, heaven and Christmas time be praised for this. I say it on my knees, old Jacob, on my knees. Oh, I don't know what day of the month it is. Oh, I don't know how long I've been among the spirits. I don't know anything. Running to the window, he opened it and put out his head. No fog, no mist, clear, bright, jovial. Golden sunlight, heavenly sky, merry bells. Oh, glorious, glorious. What's today? cried Scrooge, calling downward to a boy in Sunday clothes. Eh, what's today, my fine fellow? Today? What? It's Christmas Day. Oh, it's Christmas Day. I haven't missed it. Uh, do you know the poultry's in the next street at the corner? Oh, sure. Oh, I did. Oh, an intelligent boy, a remarkable boy. Do you know whether they've sold the prize turkey that was hanging up there? Not the little prize turkey, but the big one. What? The one as big as me? Yes, my buck. It's hanging there now. Uh, go and buy it and tell them to bring it here that I may give them directions where to take it. Uh, uh, come back with the man and I'll give you a shilling. Oh, come back with him in less than five minutes and I'll give you half a crown. The boy was off like a shot. Oh, I'll send it to Bob Cratchit. Oh, he shan't know who sends it. It's twice the size of Tiny Tim. <laughs> he dressed himself all in his best and at last got out into the streets. The people were by this time pouring forth and walking with his hands behind him. Scrooge regarded everyone with a delighted smile. He looked so irresistibly pleasant, in a word, that three or four good-humored fellows said, Good morning, sir. A Merry Christmas to you. He went to church and walked about the streets and watched the people hurrying to and fro and, and patted children on the head and questioned beggars, and looked down into the kitchens of houses and up to the windows and found that everything could yield him pleasure. He had never dreamed that any walk, that anything could give him so much happiness. In the afternoon, he turned his steps towards his nephew's house. He passed the door a dozen times before he had the courage to go up and knock, but he made a dash and did it. As soon as the serving girl opened the door, he weaved by her, blew past the rest of the staff, and made a line straight to the dining room, where friendship, love, and the joy of the holiday emanated from the people assembled. He stopped at the door, his hand on the knob, turned it gently, and entered to meet his fate like a potato about to be boiled. Fred, said Scrooge, it's I, your Uncle Scrooge. I've come to dinner. Will you let me in, Fred? Let him in. It's a mercy he didn't shake his hand off. He was at home in five minutes. Nothing could be heartier. Wonderful party. Wonderful games. Wonderful anonymity. Wonderful happiness.
spot. He was early at the office the next morning. Oh, he was early there. If only he could be there first to catch Bob Cratchit coming late. That was the thing he'd set his heart upon. And he did it. Yes, he did. The clock struck nine. No, Bob. A quarter past. No, Bob. He was a full 18 minutes and a half past his time. <laughs> Scrooge sat with his door wide open that he might see him come into the tank. Bob's hat was off before he opened the door. His comforter, too. He was on his stool in a jiffy, driving away with his pen as if he were trying to overtake nine o'clock. Hello, growled Scrooge in his accustomed voice, or as near as he could feign it. What do you mean coming here this time of day? Oh, I am very sorry, sir, said Bob. I am behind my time. You are. Yes, I think you are. Step this way, sir, if you please. Oh, it's only once a year, sir. It shall not be repeated. I was making rather merry yesterday, sir. Now, I'll tell you what, my friend, said Scrooge. I'm not going to stand for this sort of thing any longer. And therefore, I'm about to raise your salary. A Merry Christmas, Bob, my good fellow. I'll raise your salary and endeavor to assist your struggling family. And we'll discuss your affairs this very afternoon over a Christmas bowl of smoking bishop, Bob. I'll make up the fires and buy another coal scuttle before you dot another eye, Bob Cratchit. Merry Christmas! Scrooge was better than his word. He did it all and infinitely more. And to Tiny Tim, who did not die, he was a second father. He became as good a friend, as good a master, and as good a man as the good old city knew, or any other good old city, town, or borough in the good old world. He had no further discourse with the spirits, and it was always said of him that he knew how to keep Christmas well if any man alive possessed the knowledge. May that truly be said of us, and all of us. And so, as Tiny Tim observed, God bless us, every one.